Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we hear with our hearts this morning is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 17 verses 1 through 10. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Then the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drunk? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done only what was our duty to do. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us through your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Jesus speaks to us this morning about offenses. We need to be clear what he means, what he is talking about. Because we often use the word offense in a way that's very different from the way that Jesus uses it. When we talk about being offended, we often mean that our feelings are hurt, that we don't like what the other person is saying to us, that we feel judged. God's word has a lot of things in it that we don't like to hear. God's Word has a lot of things in it that reveals our sin and makes us uncomfortable and makes us feel judged. God's Word often speaks to us in a way that unbelievers would say is offensive. But that's not what Christ is talking about. He's not talking about our personal feelings being hurt. He's talking about a trap that leads to death. The kids got some nice visual aids this morning, so I figured I better share some with you as well. So we got a, we got a mouse trap here. This is one kind of mouse trap, right? It's a nice, humane one. The mouse uh, supposedly enters in through here or here, and once they get inside, they can't get out again. And if you like to be nice to mice, you can take them out and let them go in the field, and they'll probably end up back in here, but you know, it's nice for the mouse, it doesn't die. That's one kind of trap, but that's not what Jesus is talking about either, is it? This is another kind of mouse trap. When the mouse eats the bait, the, the trap springs shut and it breaks the backbone of the mouse and brings death quickly. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about things that lead believers into death, the death of their soul causing them to forget about their Savior and fall away from faith. 
The difference between the way we often use offenses and the way that Jesus is using it can be seen by comparing adultery and fornication. When the Bible says that these are things that are against his law, that these are things that are sinful and that we should not do, many people say that is offensive. Why should you judge me? Why should you tell me that my lifestyle is wrong? That's the world's added use of the words offense. Jesus says the sin, not the commandment to do it, not God's word, but the sin is the offense which causes people to fall away from faith and to go deeper into sin and leads them into death. When Jesus is talking about offenses, he is talking about that which brings death. He is talking about sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings death traps to us. But Jesus would give us life. In the first verse of our text, Jesus tells the apostles, Luke 17:1, it is impossible that no offenses should come. So we have to ask, why? Why is it impossible to avoid offenses? Why is it impossible? Why must they be a part of our life? Is it because God himself sets them up? Those around the world setting up little mouse traps and sitting back and waiting to see if Christians will fall into them? Of course not. James reminds us that God is the Father of lights. And in him is no variation or even shadow. The idea there is he is all goodness. So much so that there is not even a part of him that's maybe a little less good, even a shadow of darkness. He is all good, and all that comes from him is only good. And James uh, continues in that same chapter that God does not tempt anyone. He does not leave track. God does not desire that these offenses, that these death traps be fill the world and be sitting around waiting for us. He does not set them and he does not want them. So why can't he stop them? Why is it impossible that they not be there? Scripture shows us clearly that these traps, these offenses, are a result of sin. Sin leads to offense in the biblical sense. And where there is sin, there will be offense. God cannot rid the world of sin without destroying all of us. Sin comes from man and not from God. God has two choices. He can rid the world of sin and of offenses by destroying us all. Or he can, in his love and in his grace and in his patience, bear the sins of man patiently in the hopes that we repent and come to salvation. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Where there is sin, there is offense. Where there are people, there is sin. It is not possible for God to rid the world of offense 
unless he destroys it as he did so long ago with the flood. Some might say, but okay, but at least he could get rid of the worst of the evil. At least he could get rid of the worst of the offenses. But how do you know that he has not and that he does not? The children of Israel (coughs) said something very similar to God in the wilderness. They complained to God that he was not protecting them, that he was not providing for them as he should, that he was not doing enough. God told them, you don't know all the evil I am protecting you from. And he removed some of his protection, and the snakes that lived in the wilderness filled the camp so that many were bitten and died. We have no idea how much evil God keeps from us. And man is sinful enough that even if God were to keep 99% of man's sin and evil from us, there would still be enough sin to fill the world. The simple truth is, where where we live, we bring sin. And where there is sin, there is offense. Therefore, Jesus says, it is impossible that no offense should come. For this reason, too, we ought to recognize That sin and offense, pain and hurt, injustice and evil are not proof of an unloving God, as many think, but rather are proof of just how loving and merciful and gracious our God really is. That he waits in patience, allowing evil and sin and offense, hoping that people will repent and know, know the name of Jesus and be saved by it. When we see that God does not stop and destroy other sinners and other evil, it's a reminder to us of His grace towards us that He does not destroy us in our sin. When God is patient and and long-suffering with others who are wicked, we know that God is patient and long-suffering with us as well. And we rejoice in His grace for us. We know His love for us when we see His long sufferings towards the evil of this world. Man's sin brings death. But God would bring us life through Jesus Christ. Offenses must come. They are a part of this sinful and evil world. But Jesus warns us, Woe! Woe to him through whom they do come. Since these traps must be a part of this earthly life, Jesus calls on us to beware, to watch out, lest we be the ones setting the traps for others. Lest our sin be a cause of death for others. Woe, says Jesus, to those through whom offenses come. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We are washed by his blood. Through baptism we are redeemed and called his own. And even when we sin, God has promised us forgiveness. But how sad if our sin causes another to fall from faith and to spiritually die. It's exactly for this reason that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar 
And there remember that your brother has, sinned, has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So urgent is Christ's command to beware, to be careful that we are not the cause of offense. That he says there is nothing more important. Even if you're in the middle of worship about to bring your gift to the altar, Jesus says, and you realize that you have done something that might offend someone else, you have sinned against somebody else, it is better to stop, to leave, even in the middle of worship, and go and do what you can to be reconciled to your brother, lest your offense, lest your sin be a cause of offense, be a death trap for them. The writer C.S. Lewis talks about one incident where he took the train from London home to the country. And after riding all the way out there, he realized that he had wronged somebody. He didn't wait. But that very night, he got on the train again and went back all the way into London in order to apologize and to make it right what he had done. Many of us are not even willing to pick up the phone when we've wronged someone in order to apologize and make it right. It's exactly for this reason that many pastors encourage uh, the writing of letters, public letters, in the case of public sin. When you've sinned in a public way that is in a way that people are aware of, people know of, that could be a cause of offense. That could be a trap for others to think, oh, they did it. It's okay if I do it as well. But by writing a public apology, you show that you're repentant and that these things are not right and not good. And you help to mitigate against the possibility of that offense. Jesus is not kidding around in our text this morning, is he? This is not something he takes lightly. Woe, he says, to those through whom offenses come. This is a serious business. And we should each and every one of us daily pray that the Lord would open our eyes so that we can avoid being an offense and when our sin might be an offense, recognize it and do what we can to make it right with our brother. 1 John 2.10 He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for offense in him. Our sin brings offense and death. The blood of Christ Jesus saves us from sin and brings life. Offenses must come. Woe to us if it is through us they come. But also, Jesus continues, what can we do about others who offend us? On the one hand, we do not want our sin to be a death trap for others. On the other hand, we do not want their sin to become a trap to us. That's why Jesus continues in our text in verses 3 and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. When our brother sins against us, he sins against his own soul and harms himself. But if we refuse to forgive, if we refuse to let go of that sin, then his sin becomes a trap for us, eating away at our soul, growing anger 
and resentment within us. Therefore, Jesus says, learn to forgive so that your brother's sin may not trap you. Having heard what Jesus says here, the apostles react in a very understandable way. They recognize that they do not have the strength to do the things that Jesus has just told them to do. They recognize how weak they are, both in themselves and in their faith. And they say to Jesus, increase our faith. What a wonderful thing that Jesus reassures us that it is not by our strength or by the size of our faith that we will be able to do these things that he has set before us in our text. It is not the, the strength of our faith or even our ability to obey his commands which gives us assurance of salvation. As we saw in the, in the children's sermon, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The assurance of our salvation is placed firmly in Christ Jesus himself, regardless of our strength. The power to do the things which Jesus here sets before us are from Jesus, regardless of our faith. The name of Jesus is big enough to save you, and the strength of Jesus is large enough to move mountains. Even this mountain that Jesus sets before us in our sermon today learning how to forgive, learning how to not be an offense to others. Because of our sin, the world around us is filled with death traps. But our salvation is not dependent on our strength or our ability to avoid these traps. Our salvation comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray that we would, our sin would not be an offense to others, and that we would learn to forgive those who sin against us. But above all, we, thank, we pray thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Sin brings offense, but Jesus gives life. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.